Amen. We certainly should thank the Lord for our musicians. Amen. Amen. Choir did wonderfully today and this, uh, this morning as well. Choirs, I mean, a choir, boy, that was good stuff this morning and this evening. Amen. We thank the Lord for uh, that ministry. We want to remind you again of the um, Writers' Conference on the 14th. Still some room for those of you who would like to be involved in that ministry. Uh, we encourage you to sign up. Also, remember the Sunday School, those of you who are Sunday School teachers or helpers, conference that starts this weekend. Just finished speaking with Dr. Martin, and he has some wonderful things planned for us. Uh, starting Sunday, not Sunday, Friday at uh, 7 o'clock. Two hours, we have a break in between, uh, and uh, he'll be talking about the importance of the Sunday School, uh, the, the value of this ministry, um, as far as Christian education is concerned. I think it's going to be a real time of encouragement and motivation, as well as practical instruction, because he'll have workshops for different uh, departments and, and so on. And we do the same thing on the following Saturday as well. So we encourage you to come out and to pray uh, for uh, this conference at this time. It's been a wonderful week, hasn't it? Amen? I've really been blessed, really. You know, sometimes... Uh, I have to stop reading the scriptures and studying. You know that? That's true. Because I got so much truth, I don't know if I could hold it anymore. I'm serious. It, it, it gets to the point. What am I going to do with all this stuff? I, I get so... Like, for instance, two tremendous things that I, I learned uh, as I was preparing for these messages this week. One had to do with the experience of Jesus in Gethsemane. After he went through that time of agony... And he finally came and said, not my will, but thine be done. It's the first time I really connected uh, Paul's teaching concerning the one act of disobedience that brought on death and the one act of obedience that brought life. Normally I would connect the one act of obedience to the crucifixion itself. But as I studied there, with, God, with Jesus' experience in Gethsemane, I've come to the conclusion now that it was then when he said, not my will, but thine be done, that the act of obedience that brought us life was transacted. That's, that's a tremendous thought. And that just flooded my soul. And then, as I was preparing for the message this morning, it's amazing, you know, you go over these things again and again. In fact, every year, you know, it says, Lord, now what are I going to preach about the resurrection? I've been preaching about resurrection for 40 years. What else is there to say? You always find new truth with new meaning. But, you know, the truth that struck me today and did my heart so good and really warmed my heart. I don't know if you ever had a warm heart. Have you ever had a warm heart? I mean, you could almost feel the, the heat. The, the, it's when this particular truth came. He says, it was impossible for death to hold him. Prophecy was that his flesh could not see decay. Remember that? That's why it's impossible. Then I connected the truth taught by the writer in the book of Hebrews. A body thou hast prepared for me. Now, I have all of this time thought about that special body as a special body, because he was a God-man, was a holy body, spotless, sinless, prepared as a sacrifice, you see. 
But then as I was going through this week, it was impossible for death to hold him because it was impossible for his body to decay. So God has prepared a special body, a body that was perfect for the sacrifice, but a body that could die. Now listen to this. This is what got me. If you need theologians out here, if I'm going wrong, please get up. He prepared a body that could die, but couldn't stay dead. A body that go through the sacrifice, but after it was done, he could get up again. Isn't that wonderful? It was impossible for that. He was the God-man. No one else like him. That's just fantastic. I mean, I don't know about you all, but that just wanted to say, say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Tonight I want to take you to the resurrection chapter. And we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, without video. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've said all that because I want you to really get a fresh appreciation for the power of the Word of God. Not what I say about the Word of God, not what anybody said, but the Word of God itself. And so tonight we're just going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to make some comments, but I pray that the Word itself might speak to you in a powerful way, and I know that it will. So we'll just walk our way through it tonight as we talk about The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He introduced to his resurrection a new world order. You heard that phrase? A new world order? Jesus Christ brought that about. The true new world order. When he came out of that grave, he brought into existence a sphere of living, of existence that never existed before. He arose so that he could live what? Unto God. Completely unto God. Victorious over sin. That was not possible before for us. For all of those of us who trust him, we become a part of that new world order. Now we can have victory over sin. We can have power over sin. Isn't that wonderful? A new world order is what is introduced to us here in 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to be looking at it. And I'll make some comments as I go along. Look at verses 1. Just uh, verses 1 and 2, first of all. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. One truth, well, one major truth is brought out here. It is this. To be saved, one must believe the gospel as preached by the Apostle Paul. That's what he's saying. To be saved, you must believe the gospel as preached by the Apostle Paul. And then second, he goes on to show us that this gospel preached by the Apostle Paul contains four basic facts which are taught in Scripture. First, Christ died for our sins, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance, primary importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's an important element of the gospel. You cannot preach the good news without including that. He died for our sins. Substitution is involved, not just a historical fact. 
that he died. But he died for you and for me. Secondly, his death is proved by his burial. That he was buried. The scriptures tell us this. He was buried. See, Jesus had to die. Or else he couldn't rise again. And he had to rise again. But in order to rise again, he had to die. His death is proved by his burial. But, and then thirdly, he was raised on the third day. The scripture says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Now, something else is brought here. The same way his death was validated by his burial, his resurrection is validated by eyewitnesses. His resurrection is validated by witnesses who saw him afterwards. Notice verse 5. And that, notice that, 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 that. This is according to scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I love this phrase, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that wonderful? And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that is, was with me. His resurrection was validated by those who saw him after he was raised again. Someone has calculated that if all of the people who saw Christ afterwards would take 15 minutes to share their experience, we'd be here five days and five nights without a break. I like to put it from the beginning of the Passion Week to the time he was put on the cross. If everyone who had an opportunity to share for 15 minutes... That's why I thought tonight we'd give you a few minutes to share. But we were finished within five minutes. Isn't that something? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does it really mean to you? Anybody want to share right now? It's wonderful. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Christian life is all about. We couldn't start the Christian life without the resurrection. And we can't live the Christian life without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't. It's everything. Without the resurrection of Christ, our faith is worthless. But thirdly, he says that this is the gospel that saves and was preached by the apostles. Look at verse 11. He says, whether then it, is, it was I or they, the other apostles, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. He's saying, listen, what I've just told you, that's the gospel. That's what all the apostles preach. And that's what you must believe if you're going to be a believer. You must place your faith in the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the realization of the fact that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. That's what he's saying here. Fourthly, he says that there's some questions there's some people who question the bodily resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 12. Some people question it. They still do. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
Now, this is an old story here. People are still saying that. You watch the TV. Specials, they call them. They got a fella now, said that he had, he had found the grave of Jesus Christ. Now, not the one, not the tomb that you're talking about. That's only one of the many who's looking for the grave. One time they found it in India. You know that, eh? But this fella says he's proved, Wade, that there's no resurrection because he found a grave. But you know something? Even he found a grave, it don't tell you nothing. If there's no bones in them, and you're going to find them there. Because his body could not see the key. He's not there. He's risen, just as he said. And he's alive. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. He says, if it be preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? In other words, we cannot say that we believe in the resurrection of Christ and doubt our own resurrection. I want you to see now how he is going to intimately connect the believer with Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful here. The greatest treatise to be found anywhere in the New Testament on the resurrection is presented right here in 1 Corinthians 15. And it was not written to primarily to validate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know why it was written? To validate our resurrection. You see, he had just talked about what validated the resurrection. What was it? The eyewitnesses. Now he's going to say that the resurrection of Christ validates our resurrection. And you see, that was what was being doubted. Not that Christ wasn't raised. In fact, some of these people probably believed that he was raised. But what was being doubted was the resurrection of the believer. Beloved, now that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has occurred, we cannot separate his from ours. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead? Well, you just also said you believe that you're going to be raised. You cannot believe one without the other. That's why, please get a hold of this. We're not waiting for the last days to begin, for the end times to start. They've already started. We are in Inherently bound together with the resurrected Christ. And because he was raised, God looks at us as already having been raised as well. Now, what would be the consequence of the result if it was possible for Christ to be raised but not us? Paul presents in verse 13 a kind of domino effect. If one begins denying that the believers in Christ will, be raised, will not be raised again, he says certain things will happen. I want you to get it, because sometimes we mix up the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the believer in here. But he's talking now what happens if you don't believe, not in the resurrection of Christ, but if you don't believe in the resurrection of the believer. Notice what he says in verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, that's the believer then not even Christ has been raised. So you see, he's not proving our resurrection by the resurrection of Christ. He's proving the resurrection of Christ by our resurrection. Verse 14, If Christ is not being raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, it just doesn't stop there. In other words, he's saying, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Why is that? 
For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. You notice that? He was not raised if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. You cannot have one with the other. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. All our loved ones who died in faith are lost if there's no resurrection. Then he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men, more than the Buddhists, more than those, the, 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 the people who follow the Islamic religion, the confu- all of, we, are, we are worse than they are if Christ be not raised. But glory to God, he has been raised. He's alive. That's our ace out of the hole. Now, I don't know if you all of you caught that. Do you know what it means to have an ace in the hole? Right? When you, you don't play cards. You're all Christians. You're all annoying thing about that. You know, when everybody thought he's when he's got the best hand, then he pulls out his ace in the hole. Well, as I was going through that today, I thought about, what do you say, Diana? It means, hey, he trumps it. In other words, you think you thought you won because everything had looked so good. You know, I got such a good hand. Then this person reveals his card. The trumps are better as everything you had. That's his ace in the hole. It doesn't have to be an ace, but that's the thing that wins the game. What did, in, when we presented about Buddha and Muhammad and all of those things, you know, the grave is empty. The grave is empty. The grave is empty. They say, come follow this man. Why should we? Or rather, the grave is, has the bones in it. But with us, it's gone. There's no bones in the hole. I had another way I was going to show you about a fellow who was in a hole. Beautiful. He's in the hole. I wish I had the video because he could do much better than me. But the guy fell in the hole. Trying to get out, he can't. So a fellow comes along, he looks down and says, You would like to get out of the hole? Yes. Just pray and meditate. You do it long enough, you'll get into Nirwana, and you'll be free from the hole. The fellow starts, says, Nothing happened. Another fellow comes along, I am Muhammad. You want to get out of the hole? Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, you just pray, these, do these five things. Pray, give alms and all of that, and do good. And eventually you'll get out of the hole and go to paradise. Fellas, no, 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 nothing happened. And he goes on like that for three or four people who claim to be God. Then someone comes along, and you see the blood on his feet. As he looks down the hole, do you want to get out? He jumps into the hole with them. He jumps into the hole with them. That's Jesus' incarnation. And then he was raised. And he was raised the fella in the hole with him. Jesus is the only one who gets in the hole with us and then takes us out. No one else can. He's not in the hole anymore. In other words, he's saying here in these verses 13 through 18 that Christ's resurrection gives us hope beyond the grave. Some marvelous truths, many marvelous truths are revealed here. 
including one we really don't remember or realize or take in account as we should. Con- consider for a mo- moment. Now, Christians, think. Please think. What is the nature and the essence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Was it simply the resuscitation of a corpse? Does the resurrection of Christ simply mean that he came back to life again just as he was before he died, the restoration to physical life of a dead body? That's what happened to Lazarus, the little girl that he raised. But did that happen to Jesus Christ? If that was so, then he was not the first person to be truly resurrected. We could say resuscitated, but not resurrected. If restoration to physical life was all the resurrection was about, then the disciples preaching about the resurrection would not have impacted the Jews the way it did. Why? Well, let me read you a passage from Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. You say, what's so startling with this passage? Well, the Jews were upset because the disciples were doing what? Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now this is an extremely significant statement here. What made this teaching of Jesus different from the teaching of the Pharisees who also believed in the resurrection of the dead? They believed in it. Now the Sadducees didn't believe in it. That's why they were sad, you see. But the Pharisees did. Now, why were they upset? Because Jesus was preaching the same doctrine they had. If anything, they should rejoice. But they realized Jesus wasn't preaching the same resurrection of the dead that they were. You see, their teaching of the resurrection was an abstract theory, a cold theology without personal impact. They proclaimed something just simply as a historical, effect, a, a, a historical act to come about in the future. But with Jesus Christ, this was different. He was teaching a radically new, different kind of resurrection. You're not going to be just like you were before. You were going to enter a new world order. You were going to be changed completely. Now that's what they didn't like. Because they thought that Jesus had the ace on them. And they didn't like it. Not only that, the disciples were not only proclaiming the resurrection of a crucified teacher. They were also proclaiming that in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Meaning that his resurrection was the forerunner of the resurrection of all believers. And so Jesus Christ was now taking the truth of the resurrection out of the realm of a theological debate that was simply a hope for the future. But Jesus, it was now a fact. It was the reality of the present. Jesus' resurrection actually brought into the present time the realities of the end time. Did you get that? 
His resurrection brought into reality in the present time the realities of the future time. And please get that. This, this is a wonderful thing. It was the emergence within time of a new order of life. This is the truth. This is the amazing fact that we do not reflect upon as we should. Eternity and time intersected the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Present and future wrapped up in one act. We have two parallel worlds existing at the same time. The world of the spiritually resurrected and the world as we know it. It was no longer then that resurrection would happen. The resurrection had happened. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees realized that the disciples were preaching a new, powerful, transforming message. And they didn't like it because it wasn't theirs. The beginning of the end had begun. That's what I don't want you to forget when you think about the resurrection. The beginning, the end times had begun. In other words, the first resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous has already started. It started with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are already in the process of the resurrection of... Do you get that? Do you understand that? Some people say, boy, I hate waiting in line. When I go to the airport anyway, I don't like to wait in line. And you like to cut in. But listen, we are in line. In line for the first resurrection. Resurrection to righteousness. Jesus was the first. We're next. We're next. And the same thing that happened to Jesus Christ on that first Lord, resurrection day could happen to you and happen to me. And it could happen at any time. Do you get that? How, therefore, should we live? See, this is why I don't like to get too involved in Scripture. Because I'm getting, I don't know, I know how much more I get hold of this stuff. I'm serious. Get worked up, eh? How much more can we hold of this truth? It should lead us to worship him, shouldn't it? I do my walking now again, finally. Five o'clock in the morning, beautiful time. I get up on the bridge this morning, looked at the stars, looked at the moon, looked at the sea. It was beautiful. And I got on that bridge and I fell, just like this. I said, Lord, what a great God that you are. I could see why some people who don't have the full revelation would worship the moon and the sun. For those who would take time to look at it, so wonderful. And I just said, Lord, thank you for giving me the privilege of sharing a part of this great creation. In fact, thank you for making me a part of that great creation. That's the God. And that's, he reveals himself like that in his word. This introduction then of a new spiritual reality and world order is seen in the nature of the body of the risen Christ. 
As I mentioned before, the empty tomb does not prove the fact of the resurrection. Many people think that the empty tomb proves. No, it doesn't. Somebody could have hidden it, but of course we know he didn't. It doesn't prove it. But you know what it does prove? The nature of the resurrected body. Different from what it was when it went into that tomb. None of the disciples believed in the resurrection of Christ because they saw the empty tomb. But they believed because they saw the risen Christ. Talking about the disciples now. And they saw him in a way they had never seen him before. Remember Mary? She didn't recognize him. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They did not recognize him until he purposely revealed himself to them. The same way he purposely revealed himself to Mary. Even the apostles didn't believe that was him until he showed them his body, his hands, and his feet. Sometimes we go to this passage. He says that John went in and he believed. Remember that passage? He went in and he believed. Everybody said, man, he believed in the resurrection. No, it doesn't. Because the next verse says, because they didn't understand the scripture to mean that he'd rise again from the dead. What he believed was that the body was gone. Mary came and said, they've taken my body. Not taken my body, taken his body. We don't know where. John went and looked inside and he believed. Believe what? Not that Jesus was raised, but that the body wasn't there. It's two different things. And so the empty tomb proved the nature of the resurrected body of Christ. He could leave that tomb without the stone being renewed. Removed. Remember, don't you ever believe that the stone was removed to let Jesus out? The stone was removed to let the disciples in so they could see that he was gone. Stone didn't have to be removed for Jesus to be gone. And so, the empty tomb didn't just mean that he had risen, but that he had risen with a different kind of body. A body that was required to live in a different, in a new world order. His body was not merely a physical body anymore. It was supra-physical. Spiritual but supra-physical. The body possessed new and wonderful powers that was not true of his pre-resurrection body. These new powers now set his new body apart from the natural and physical body of his yet unresurrected disciples. This body, resurrected, possessed capacities never before seen or experienced on earth. He could appear and he could disappear at will with amazing, with amazing and blazing speed. His body belonged to a different order of reality. But it existed at least for a time in this temporal order of reality. For 40 days, this resurrected Christ was living in parallel worlds. He had a body that was rubbing shoulders. Human, physical bodies, not glorified. New world order. You and I have been ushered into this new world order spiritually when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. 
His death, His burial, and His resurrection are attributed to us. What happened to Him happened to us. How then should we live? We should live like people who are tapping into the resurrected power of a new world order. Power that gives us victory over sin. Isn't that wonderful? Thanks, I gotta warm up, but I think I better warm down right now. This chapter has 41 verses. You just got to 12, so I'll stop you tonight. We'll come back to it next year. Did you say, Brad? Amen? Next year? <laughs> no, time is gone. But listen, what does it mean to you now? I want to leave a few minutes and I'll, I'll quit. Does the resurrection mean anything different to you? At all? Anyone? Anything you'd like to give God glory for right now? Because of the resurrection. No longer under the law. Amen. You know the definition of love. Tell me what it is. Huh? Amen. That's love, isn't it? You want to see love? Look at Jesus. Anyone else? Listen, learn to glorify God. Please learn to praise Him in the congregation of God's people. Jesus Himself said that's what He's going to do. Read Psalm 22. I'll praise you in the congregation. Jesus Himself. <laughs> He's all over me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Anyone else? Amen. That's right. Amen. No hope of a future life either. You see, no hope of a victory of sin. We would be the most depressed people you ever want to see if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One more, two more. Come on now. Anyone? Hmm? And we wouldn't have been... That's right. No reason, right? Joy? No reason. Joe? Just like us. Is that right? Why are you dance, man? People who... Go ahead, go ahead. I get in trouble here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Glory. And... Amen. That's something to dance about, eh? That's right. All right. Anyone else? All right. If not, someone? Oh, Nathaniel. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's stand then. We're going to uh, close in prayer. And Brad, would you mind closing for us, please? Almost done, Heavenly Father. It's been wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today. The Word of God says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go house of the Lord. What a joyful day it's been to worship the risen Savior, to sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Father, as we go throughout the, as we've heard this message today, this morning and this evening, as we've heard these testimonies today, Lord, what we have today is a, it's an example of one of the greatest witnessing tools that we have today. That's right, amen. And that's to share this Easter story, to share what Jesus did for us we as Christians today can go out into the highways and byways and present this Easter story to those who do not know Christ. Father, it's my prayer today that if someone here does not know Jesus Christ before they leave this building, that they heard the story and Lord, that they could come and accept Christ. 
the Lord have not let us as Christians go out and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for Pastor Lee today for the for the in-depth study he's given us, Lord, from, from bringing it from his heart today, Lord, from, from inspiring him, Lord, from giving him the energy to come today and present this gospel that, that has been stirred up within him, Lord. Yeah. Father, if it's within your heart, let him burst with joy. Let him shout Amen. out. Him. Amen. Let him dance across this stadium, Lord. <laughs> Whatever's within him, Lord, don't let it hold him back. We thank you for this man of God that's been brought to us today, Lord. Be with him and his family in their physical lives, Lord. And Lord, again, as we go to our homes tonight, Lord, just keep us safe and we rejoice every day, 365 days, that he is risen. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, Christ. amen. Praise God, we love you. We thank you. And everyone that's glad that he is risen, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Lord bless, amen. Thank you, Brother Brad.